Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody and Steve, joined once again by Mike and Elliot. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks again for joining. Hey, Steve. Hi, everyone. Good afternoon. Okay, um, just to talk about the election just a little bit, um, my quick thoughts. I don't know if any of us disagree that there's been at least some voter fraud. I assume some of us agree that there's been massive and extensive voter fraud in many, many different areas. I assume we all agree that we have no clue what's gonna happen. We probably lean to the fact that Trump's not gonna win in the end, but be that as it may, I was thinking about, you know, they keep saying there's no evidence and what is evidence and what is proof. And I ended up seeing an interesting article, which I think I tacked up here on Facebook about what does proof even mean in a philosophic or legal sense. But the way I look at it, there's basically two audiences out there right now that matter. One is the courts, and they prove to the courts in a strong enough way. And I'm not 100% sure if that's based on evidence or just what kind of judge you're going to get. Even though Obama said there's no such thing as, oh, not Obama, Roberts. So we don't have Obama judges and Trump judges. But of course, many of us think we do. And I think the other audience is just we the people in the sense that, as Ed has said many times, our best recourse and most legal recourse may be state legislatures. And the way to pressure them is if the public says, you absolutely can't certify these electors unless you give it a much better look at fraud and then do what you think is best, there's a chance that they'll give in. But if the public is saying, look, let's just move on, then there's no prayer in the world that a state legislature is gonna do something and I think the media has done a phenomenal job in depressing most of us who even feel Trump was robbed. And they make us so hopeless that what I hear from people on my side of the tracks is, come on, let's just forget about it. Let's just move on and drop the whole thing. And I think that's part of what they're trying to do. So anyway, I'm willing to hear anybody tell me I'm crazy. Well, I, I don't think you're crazy. I think you're a brilliant man. But let me let me offer a, a little... But different point of view. I mean, I, you know, as I sort of alluded to last week, I think even uh, unless you can show a, a total smoking gun, you know, some sort of email saying we're going to commit voter fraud and this is how we're going to do it. I, I can't even say I'm comfortable with a judge overturning an election. At most, the judge should say, you know, here's a catalog of all the things that we find problematic. We're going to grant plaintiffs an injunction barring certification of the results, but we're not going to overturn this election. This is something for, this is a political question for the state legislatures to deal with. And, and maybe even not give it an injunction, maybe just say, you know, we would like to issue an injunction, but this is not a judicial question. This is something for the legislature to deal with. And I mean, unless there's a smoking gun, if you have a smoking gun, then I think the court should be intervening. But short of a smoking gun, we need to step back and think, is this something that we think is an appropriate function for a court? And I really don't think it is. I mean, 
There's a whole lot of why I said the legislature that the second audience really is the legislature, and they're going to need a lot of pressure to do something. All right, I I gotta um, say something in response to what Ed just said. He mentioned, you know, judges making decisions versus legislatures. What's so ironic here is that judges overstepping their bounds and acting as legislators is what caused a lot of this mess in the first place. In Pennsylvania, North Carolina, I think I think a few of the other swing states, maybe all swing states, judges massively overstepped their bounds and wrote laws legislating from the bench, as so many judges do now. Like in Pennsylvania, where they said, forget the Pennsylvania legislature, we are going to make a ruling and pass legislation from the bench saying that um, you can count votes for uh, three days beyond election day, even though state law says otherwise and the legislature didn't do it. Same with North Carolina. I think they extended it like nine days right. and Not a few other states. Too, the deadlines, but also waiving the signature requirement, waiving the yep. matching requirement, waiving the postmark. Exactly. So this whole election was illegitimate even before election day because judges usurped power from legislatures. And, and as soon as Biden is inaugurated, I think I'm going to write an article titled The Death of the, Le- the Legislature. The legislature is antiquated. It wasn't just the court. It was secretaries of state, too, like in Pennsylvania. It was the executive right. branch. Also, well, they also shouldn't take powers from legislatures. Yeah. Well, but two things on that, though. I mean, number one, Trump was obviously aware of it because he was screaming about possible fraud for months. And he should have done more when he had the opportunity to do more. Um, why he didn't is, is you know, we've discussed that in the last show. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why he didn't. But um, I, I think that, you know, I think that Alito's dissent in the case that got up to the Supreme Court got to this issue. And he said, we can't wait and let the horse get out of the barn. The horse is kind of out of the barn right now. I'm really not sure how any court can fix that. Um, but and secondly, um, I think t- if you listen to Team Trump, the mantra is count every legal vote. And what they don't seem to understand is that the definition of a legal vote has been changed in exactly the way that Elliot just described. And you can go back and change every legal, you count every legal vote, but what is now a legal vote has been manipulated by the Democrats. Um, and I'm not sure you'd get a different result. Um, and that doesn't even get into the whole issue of Domin- the Dominion software, uh, the potential for abuse and fraud in the code writing. Um, and, and I think, you know, I don't know if we're jumping ahead here, but. Hey, if it's good enough for Hugo Chavez, it's good enough for us. All right, Ed? Well, you know what? <laughs> I, 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 I hear what you're saying, and I don't, I agree with you 100% on that, but I, I think the real. You know, the how to the Baskervilles question is, why aren't the Republicans barking louder on this one? And well, you know, most Republicans don't have backbone. Well, yeah, you know what? I, that's one that's one possible answer. And I'm not saying you're wrong or discounting it. But my suspicion and the reason I gave you the you know, I use the metaphor of the hound of the Baskervilles is I think that the dog didn't bark for a reason. And I think it's because I don't think Democrats are the only ones that are playing the fraud game. And I think that Republicans know how to play this system. They may not be as good at fraud as Democrats are, but if they were as if this were as outrageous and shocking as it is to to me, I don't engage in fraud like that. And this outrages me when I see some other Republican whose whose party is having the election stolen from them. And I see Governor Kemp 
and the Republican legislatures in Georgia and Pennsylvania and Michigan barely saying a peep, it says to me they're afraid of something else coming out. I don't know what, I mean, I can't accuse them specifically, but to me, an innocent person there would be as outraged as all of us are and would say, this is wrong, this is fraud, and we need to go through it. We need a, a forensic computer person to go through every line of code and see where whether there's any uh, instructions embedded in the code that switch votes. But they're not calling for that. They're not doing that. And the fact that they're not doing that tells me they know what's there. They know there's fraud there. And they probably do it in some pretty red places, too. And they, 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 they they gone too. I had two questions for you. First of all, you're going further than I was going to go, which fascinates me. But one question I have for you is um, now how can I forget her name? And it's on my name. It's on my tip of my tongue the entire time. Sydney, what's her name? Sydney the Powell. Powell. Sydney Powell. That's what I thought. Um, forgetting Giuliani and um, DeGeneva and all these other people, she's a pretty serious person. And I don't think anybody thinks she would frivolously get involved. And the second thing I wanted to mention, which is, is a little bit in the direction you went, is the implications of some of the fraud allegations in this election are literally earth shattering. Mm -hmm. If they're true, it means that our republic is finished because well, we are they, like Venezuela. Every election could have been stolen. And I don't think anybody wants to go there. And I think that's- well, I'm not, I, I'm not disagreeing with Sidney Powell. I'm not attacking her in any way. I, I'm actually saying I probably, I, I believe her. And I'm saying Republicans have plenty of, plenty of grist for the mill if they wanna make a claim that there's real fraud going on here. They don't need to wait until some jury or some judge comes down and, and pounds the gavel and says, yes, there's a finding of fraud. There's enough smoke here that they can claim credibly that there's fire. And but Ed, it still takes backbone to say it okay. with what the media is saying now that we're all crazy, psycho, sore loser, conservative, psycho, conspiracy idiots. It takes still, even with all the right. evidence, and I've published articles with thousands of sources, it still right. takes backbone to stand up and say there's fraud. And most Republicans gotta, can't do you it. you got to stop and say, well, what are they afraid of? Are they afraid of being called out by the Democrats? Or are they afraid that maybe they're going to be exposed as fraud fraudsters as well? And I, I suspect that they would be afraid of being caught committing fraud themselves. That's, you that's know, what I think. Uh, bringing up Sidney Powell, um, you know, she's obviously very passionate. She, she, you know, she's, she brings forth a lot of what she says is evidence. Um, and I'm not saying I don't believe her, but one of the things that she, she said when she was talking about the ease of uh, changing someone's vote online and talking about Chavez and Maduro and all these things that have happened in the past. And she said, you know, the CIA has known about this worldwide cheating online. And I'm thinking just as, Ed alluded, or maybe it was Steve, I can't remember, but if, if the CIA has known this for years and we're using a system, an online system, and the Trump administration, well before this election, the, the Republicans mm -hmm. have been worried about it, why, why is Sidney Powell just angry and talking about this now? Why, why hasn't yep. this been before the election? Why, why is this news now? Correct. Because I, the CIA I, I, is and always has been corrupt. Yeah, but here's one of the things is, you know, remember um, the, the Rachel Maddow's of, you know, the Trump impeachment 
and her incessant and those like her, they're incessant that, you know, they have rock solid evidence of impeachable acts. And then their own witnesses, when it came time to impeachment, say we have there's nothing impeachable here. You know that I'm I'm worried that the same thing that happened to the liberal left with their is I'm wor you can't just make these claims. You have to prove them. This ha if this doesn't play out in the Sidney Powells of the right are it's hyperbole and it's I'm going to be angry. And okay, the only reason I mentioned her is I don't think she's one of those. I don't think she would. I don't either. But but there's there's that bridge between what I believe based on what she says and carrying that across the bridge to the proof evidence court trial line or whatever. Well, I don't know if she, she may not convince a judge, but I, I can pretty much, I'm 100% satisfied that she has the material or she wouldn't go as far as she would because she's not a- let me pose something. Can I be an optimist for a minute? Uh, I think we all would like to hear you be an optimist about something. Go ahead. I think, thanks. I think all she has to do in a sense, and Ed, tell me if I'm wrong, is not necessarily prove that every, you know, enough votes as far as the numbers or millions were, were fraudulent. She has to cast enough doubt. It's kind of like a murder trial casting um, a reasonable doubt so that the uh, state legislature or secretary of state doesn't certify the results and it goes to the legislature. Am I onto something or am I wrong? I think that's not right. I think that if if Biden won the election by 10,000 votes, you're going to need to show that at least 10,001 votes were subject to some level of fraud. And if you don't show that, it doesn't matter what you show, you're just you're going to get kicked out of court. I guess what I'm asking is do they have to show 10,001 votes were flipped? and show them being flipped on video evidence or can we cast massive doubt about 10,000, 15, 30,000 massive doubt? Cause I already have a lot of doubt about a million votes. They're flipped because we have a secret ballot and we don't know who voted for who, uh, but you're gonna have to show at least 10,001 would be tampered with. Okay. Let me, let me throw this at you guys, okay? It would help, in my opinion, I think it would help Trump and it would help the GOP Senate candidates in Georgia. If Trump came out and said, you know what? We, have, we are dealing with a serious threat to our election integrity system here. And I am calling on the Georgia legislature to convene a special session. They need to come into session this weekend. They need to address voting reforms, make sure that there are paper ballots that are traceable and, and we can follow them, that there's no electronic voting, that there are no uh, signatures that are waived. There are no postmarks that are waived. There are no that there are tighter restrictions that there are tightened restrictions on absentee balloting and they should and, and Trump should say we need to we've had the safeguards for voter integrity dismantled. They need to be reinstated. And I'm calling on the Georgia legislature to convene a special session and for Governor Kemp to oversee that session and to sign legislation as early as Monday of next week to make sure that these runoff elections that are going to determine in large part the next four years for the future of America to make sure that they are done correctly and fairly. There is nobody who could object to that other than someone who wanted to commit fraud. And yet well, that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I like it. And but the Republicans aren't talking about that. Trump hasn't said it. What is Why Trump? Not? What is, I mean, what I am smart. Huh? How can Trump tell the state what to do? I'm, I'm he can't confused. order them, but he can suggest. He just recommend it. He can say, look, this is what you guys need to do. Pulpit to, make, to get that message. Right. 
Okay. And he can say, this is, you know, it, it not, this isn't just about me. I'm not just talking about my election. I'm talking about this Senate race, which affects the entire country. We need to make sure but, that the Ed, entire country is protected. And, and yet why, why does he, why does he even need to say that? You know, why isn't governor Kemp doing that? Why isn't the Georgia legislature doing it? But the answer is they're not doing it. So there's a reason why they're not. They, they, they're either afraid of something or they're okay with what's going on. And I don't know what it is, but it's not a good answer. And, and no, my well, here's, here's the one thing I would say. The, the concept, like you talk about with language, the left has totally destroyed the phrase election integrity. Conservatives can yell that we just want election integrity. We're not saying we want a Trump win. We want honest elections with integrity. We can yell till we're, we're blue in the face, but they have destroyed the concept over the last few weeks. And they've, they've totally likened the phrase election integrity to sore losers crying about a conspiracy about crazy Soros voting machines. So right. if you say why, right now, if Trump says election integrity, they'll say, oh, there goes that crazy conspiracy theorist again. Right. Yeah, which, is why it should be, which is why it should be done prospectively and not even mention, you know, that we need to do a recount with this method. Just focus on what's going forward. And it's not about fixing the past or changing an election. Um, and you know what, you know, speaking to our libertarian audience, you know, why in the world is vote counting and vote tabulation a private function? Why is that something that's outsourced to any private company, let alone a company from Canada outside the United States like Dominion? That is a government function. It should be done by the government. It should be done in front of the cameras of, of, that have to shine on the government. And yet it's done, being done in like 38 states, I think. Why? Not all those states are run by Democrats. By the way, how many states are run by, by Republicans? How many people even knew that this was done privately until recently? I really don't know if I knew that. Okay, but now that we know, where is the outcry yeah. that, you know, why, why, where are the libertarians to say, this is not a, this is something the government should be doing. If we're yeah. going to have an election, then the, the government should be doing it. I'll and tell again. you exactly where they are. EJS on the Liberty Block. Yeah, right. Because I, I can't argue with that because if it's the ultimate government thing, the government should be doing it. That way we can hold them accountable and not worry about a private company in Venezuela, Spain, and Canada. And who knows where else that company is based. And I think, Ed, you're making a great point. Why shouldn't the counting be on C-SPAN? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. Let, every, a, let everyone in America watch it. Huh? That way we won't have one observer or two observers or zero observers or more than zero, well, so to speak. We'll have uh, 300 million observers of the count if it's on C-SPAN. Correct. Yeah. Not only, that, not only that, but notice that when you have a private company doing it, the Freedom of Information Act doesn't apply to a private company the way it does to a government entity. Oof, that's right? bad. If that's correct, that's right. bad. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that – all right, we only know about it. Let's just let's put give everybody the benefit of the doubt. We've only known about this for two weeks or ten days. All right, yes, that's enough time. That that in its, I agree, Jody. That's BS. But okay, ten days is enough time for a groundswell of of, of opposition and, and, and outrage that we need to change something. And, and in particular, we need to protect the integrity of the Georgia election that's coming up six weeks or seven weeks from now. And mm -hmm. and you hear silence from the Republican Party. Absolute silence. I want to mention an article. I know, Ed, you say you didn't look at the show prep articles, but you're stealing some of the thunder here. There was an article in Front Page Magazine today from Daniel Greenfield saying the real election was rigged in 2018. And he talks about how we lost all of this when we lost the Secretary of State elections. 
when we were sleeping at night and the Democrats were changing all the election laws to allow all kinds of stuff like mail-in ballots, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it speaks to something we've touched on before. They never sleep. And while we think everybody's going along doing their business honestly, they're plotting and plotting and plotting. So when Ed on EJS today says we need to start working now, I think, yes, two years ahead of the next election cycle, we right. need to be putting things in place. And I think it's really important. I think last week, it, it was either last week or the week before, but I think last week I said that we have to stop fighting the last battle and start thinking about what the next battle is going to be. That's and, my line. I've been saying it for years. Yeah, well, okay. I'm not trying to steal your thunder there, Elliot, but I, I think it's clear to me that the, the Republicans eventually are going to belatedly try and close up election, you know, all this... Uh, all the safeguards that have been breached here for election integrity. And by the time they do that, Democrats are going to be busy electing people to the state legislatures, to secretaries of state, to district attorney offices, to all the lower level government uh, offices that are going to obviate what these old rules were, because they're just going to change them anyway. And our, our side doesn't seem to be able to fight going forward. We always are looking at the last battle and trying to fight the last battle. And the other side is preparing for the next battle and and they're rolling right now. If we don't if we don't prepare and we don't fight back, we are going to we're going to get steamrolled. So but, we need to know, fight. I don't disagree. I just add I think it's also like I've said before, they want it more than we do. They don't they never stop they working want it more than I do. That's for damn sure. Uh, not more than you do, but more than more than some of us do. Mike, Jody, anybody a comment? Jill, feel free to chat. I have a question. Go. So you all know that Michigan is my home state and my heart. And, uh, so I'm, my question is, it's my understanding in particular in Wayne County there, which is essentially Detroit, they were, the Republicans there were able to stop them from certifying the votes there, but then ultimately, and it seems to me like a short order time may have caved probably to political pressure or some sort of threats. I'm just guessing. Already. They're, 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 What's that? that? It's an attack on uh, people of color. We don't we want to disenfranchise them. Don't you know that? What I say, so it, 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 it had nothing to do with elections and votes and integrity. It, they, they can totally make all, it was probably political pressure. We'll call you a racist if you don't do it. Very yeah. effective in the United States. Um, but my question is, so what does that mean for the entire state of Michigan? And is the entire state of Michigan still any, it, it could, could they still go in and find, or is it done for the state of Michigan? Well, the state doesn't have to certify it just because one county does, if that's what you're asking. Pretty much that's what I'm asking. Like, is Michigan still, could Michigan still be, could they still find, you know, that there was enough fraud to... Oh, I think if I'm not mistaken, the state legislature still has to certify, right? Okay. Well, can, can they certify? Can they certify without that county certifying? Yeah. The, the, the answer is did, yes. They, no. Yes, they could. The, the state, the secretary of state, could certify with or without that county, and even if the secretary of state, pursuant to state law, certifies, the legislature still could override that. That's what Bush, uh, Jeb Bush and the Republican legislature in Florida were in the process of doing in 2000 before the U.S. Supreme Court stepped in and ended the counting for the second time. Um, 
whether whether they did that or not, uh, if they did that, you might have the situation where the secretary of state certifies one slate of electors and the legislature for the state for the for Michigan might certify a different slate of legislators and it will be up to the Electoral College and ultimately to Congress to decide which slate to accept. And it might wind up getting into the House of Representatives that way. Okay. It gets that contested, we will have a civil war in our hands. It could. Well, who controls the legislature in Michigan? Are both houses Republican? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I'm both houses are controlled. Double check on that, but I'm pretty sure. Most of these states have Republican legislatures. I'm, I'm almost positive that with the exception of both houses in Nevada and one house in Minnesota, all of the battleground close states were controlled. Both houses were controlled by Republicans. I'm pretty sure it is. And, you know, that's the one thing keeping because that governor is she's her, you know, she's called Whitler for a reason. Uh, uh, so, talk uh, of impeaching her now, you know. Uh, right now, I think that's, that's the only her, thing keeping her, her from ordering it. I think the fact that there's a Republican General Assembly there, it's the only thing keeping her from basically making people stay locked in your house. I mean, she's a power hungry, well, crazy lady. She's already she's she and, and um, you know, Governor Murphy in New Jersey and Cuomo in New York and Newsom yeah. in California. Yeah. They've already basically banned Thanksgiving. And they've told yeah. us, you know, these same people that tell us that, you know, that they have no business coming into our house to tell us, you know, what our sexual practices can be and what we can do in our bedrooms. Suddenly they can tell us what we can do in our dining rooms and in our kitchens. Right, right. Uh, well, so can, we get, can we get a hashtag? What? Can we get a good hashtag going? I'm sure some of you smart people can come up with one. We're all going to have regular Thanksgiving with our family, with whatever amount of people, even if it's illegal, take a nice family picture and publicly admit that we're violating their damn laws and dare them all to arrest and or imprison or kill all of us. Okay. Um, but we need to go to like free Thanksgiving. Flip the bird. Flip, I'm going to, I'm going to have to be the optimist. <laughs> I'm going to be the optimist here. Very, very good news. that came out this morning. The dictator, I mean, the mayor of New York city announced the NY, NYPD, our police department will not be stopping Thanksgiving family gatherings. They will not be going into homes and arresting people for having Thanksgiving meals with their family. And thank I you, gracious Supreme Leader. We need to stop and we need to say thank you for our government <laughs> saying, even though it is illegal, they will not bust these up with the police. Well, so, so gracious. Did he say anything about the, uh, the Orthodox Jewish community? No, I don't know if he knows if we keep Thanksgiving or not, because we don't even know if we keep it or not. <laughs> but now I, by, I in Pennsylvania, that. apparently, he's saying that you have to wear a mask in your house now if you have other people that don't belong to your household. Well, Massachusetts, it's the same way. I think. No singing either. We're not, I, we're not I think. To sing. What did you say, Mike? We're not supposed to sing at, at Thanksgiving dinner either. Right. Not that there are that many Thanksgiving songs. <laughs> I think this gets into a larger point and I mean hashtags are great you know I, but I don't you know I don't think that we need to be Michelle Obama and think that we did a hashtag and we solved the problem I think we've reached the point where civil disobedience is in order I think that's what Elliot was alluding to and I think it's time it's time for for civil disobedience whether it's just uh 
in your face objections and violations of these yeah. orders or 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 worse i mean i you know i don't want to you know i'm mindful of of you know the incitement to violence and i'm not calling for any violence but you know just as a purely hypothetical you know maybe somebody needs to start organizing a tax revolt and maybe we need to start figuring out ways to really hit these politicians where it hurts them and dare them to arrest all of us and dare them to really go and enforce all of their laws and and i'm sure they have no problems you know, lining up the cattle cars and filling as many as many of them as they can with as many of us as they can. But it's time that we stop pretending that this is some difference of opinion and that, you know, we just we can legislate our way out of this and debate them out of this. This is this is absolute tyranny. And they are so indifferent. Not I was going to I started to say indifferent to our rights, but they're not indifferent. They are affirmatively trying to violate yes. our rights. Mm -hmm. Everybody seems to, so quick to pick up on all the hypocrisies of, you know, Gavin Newsom going and having a, a big dinner out with his friends. And it's not hypocrisy. It, it's intentionally in our face. It's designed to let us know you don't matter. And I don't care enough about you to even give two hoots whether you're offended or not. Mm -hmm. And it is just time that we rise up and let them know if you don't care now, you're gonna care later. I, I don't think anybody's going to be really listening to Murphy's order. You don't think anyone what? I don't think you're going to see people really listening to that order next week. I know I'm one person that's going to visit my family, and there probably will be more than 10 people there. Well, but we need to be active and proud about the civil disobedience and make what? a show of it to show them that we're not going to obey their ever-increasing tyranny, like the Boston Tea Party that Horowitz has been calling for for months now. Yeah, Daniel Harwitz is literally calling in his podcast for revolution, which I, I can't even believe he's using that word. Maybe we could borrow that T-shirt that they wear. I'm proud of my abortion. We can add I'm proud of my Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I don't want to be so, uh, what do you call it? Um, we do have somebody here, a guest from New Hampshire. I don't know if you want to speak to New Hampshire, but I know that you're peripherally involved in this fight to take the emergency powers back from the governor. Do you want to address that, Jill? I, my daughter is involved in that. Okay. And I have a hard time keeping up with everything she's trying to do. Are you not hearing me? We hear you, we hear you perfectly. Okay. We all do. Uh, yeah, so I'm having a hard time keeping up with everything she's trying to do. Um, I, I would like to address what you talked about a little earlier, which would get back to this point. I think the reason Republicans are not standing up for this fraudulent election is because they don't want to stand up for Trump. He's put, you know, he put himself in the situation he's in his rudeness, his behavior, his way of talking, his way of behaving with people. Nobody, everybody's afraid to actually stand up with him. There are very few people out here who would stand up with him, even in regards to a fraudulent election, because yeah, nobody really cares too much about all of that. Maybe it's because Republicans do the same thing. I don't know. But I think the big problem here is people are afraid of him. And what has been very interesting since Melissa got elected and has been introducing herself to people and where she stands and very frightening is to learn that so many of these Republicans, even the people who were endorsed by Reopen New Hampshire, a lot of the Liberty Group endorsed the candidates who got elected are afraid to buck the governor here. Well, you know, he's not so bad. He's a benevolent dictator. We can have Thanksgiving. They are actually afraid 
and she's she's just bucking that it's making me very depressed i have to say i have to keep my mouth shut because she's keeping a go forward attitude i'm going to do what i need to do uh she really believed that her first order of business would be to get rid of the state of emergency but the governor's spokesperson already made it very clear to her personally that the governor will veto that um so yeah we expected that I, what we expect that that's why we need a bit of majority right we needed a bit yeah we do need a bigger majority than what we have we don't have a big enough majority um and her course well, of action of course is to have this summit on november 30th with the reopen new hampshire endorsed candidates and the other liberty endorsed candidates to educate them about what COVID is really all about so that they can go forward knowing that yes they endorse freedom but now they can actually say that freedom will not kill people we will understand what COVID is really all about and it's not going to kill people um and that's her course of action uh she's got this schedule for november 30 she doesn't even take office until december 2nd go ahead elliot well, i see you there ready just, to talk let me just before elliot before you say anything let me just add one thing to that I, I agree that the governors are going to fight, but I have a sort of different take on this. Win or lose on these challenges, Trump is a lame duck. And it is time for Donald Trump to stand up and say, we are a constitutional republic. We do not tolerate dictators, even in the name of federalism. Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution guarantees is a federal guarantee that each state will have a Republican form of government, not a dictatorship, not a tyranny, not ruled by decree, not ruled by consent order, not ruled by executive order, none of it. And it is time, if, if President Trump only has until January 20th, which as of this, this writing, as a recording right now, it's November 19th. So that'll give him about 62 days, about nine 18th. weeks. I'm in New York, it's still the 18th. All right, all right. So I'm on the wrong side of the dateline. What, what can I tell you? <laughs> He's got about nine weeks. That is more than enough time for him to do mobilize National Guards, mobilize the federal government to put an end to this nonsense once and for all. And if and he's he not going to be reelected, if he's not going to be president, all the more reason. How yes. about you do it and you get it done just like you got Amy Coney Barrett through the Senate? You need to get this crap out of our system. And if the Democrats want to whine and howl, let them whine and howl and let them go and reimpose dictatorship under Biden. Let them do it. But Trump needs to lead. Republicans need to lead and say, this is not who we are. We do not support this. We do not stand for this. And anyone who wants to run under the Republican banner in 2024 or even 2022 needs to get behind this train, whether it's Trump leading it or somebody else and say, we are going to defend the rights of ordinary Americans against this tyrannical suspension of their liberties and destruction of their economy. Okay, Ed, I love every word you said. What mechanism is there besides talking for a president to enforce our right to a republic in every state? How about calling in the National Guard if he has to? How about doing what, it, let, it, let them threaten to impeach him. OK, he should do what needs to be done. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be the military general and strategist and tell him exactly this is exactly how to do it. But he has the tools within his at his disposal. He has been saying all summer that he has the power to to go and stop the rioting going on. It is where's, his, where's his constitutional authority to call the National Guard, though, Ed? I mean, OK, his con 
it's time for him to start acting. It's not even in the Use the Fourteenth Amendment, equal protection clause, equal protection under law. He, he didn't. He didn't do it when there was rioting going on everywhere, and you could. Okay, and just because he, he made, a made an once, argument that, that was an insurrection, and that he had, and just because he made a mistake once, doesn't mean he has to enshrine that mistake for all time and say I can never correct it. It was a mistake over the summer. In, in retrospect, if it wasn't a stolen election, that's a good reason why he lost because he didn't do what he needed to do to humiliate these Democrats and to take their power away from them. And he needs to do it now because. Nine weeks from now, we're not going to control the Justice Department. We're not going to control the FBI. We're not going to control any of these federal departments. So if we're going to do anything, we damn well better do it now and let the chips fall where they may. If they want to accuse him of acting extra constitutional, extra constitutionally, let them go and make that argument and defend the dictatorial decrees of these governors. I'm all right. And they're going to call him a dictator. They already oh, they will, and they already do. They already called Hitler. We told you. We told you he's a fascist. Now we have proof. Okay. So great. Here's the thing. Imagine he goes to arrest Whitmer, Cuomo, Murphy, and Newsom. Arrest them for violating, let's say, the equal protection clause because not every American has equal protection because half of Americans cannot pray in church or synagogue because they made it illegal and it effectively wiped out the First Amendment. Imagine he goes to arrest them. Yeah, I know it will be for show. It's not going to really happen. But if he tries to arrest them or even threatens it. You'll see leftist states secede overnight. You want California gone? That's how you do it. If Eisenhower could go and send federal troops in to integrate the schools in Little Rock, President Trump can send in troops to make sure that the churches are open, to make sure that you can go and have Thanksgiving dinner, to make sure that you can go out and enjoy some sunshine with your family. I, Bingo, I, I, because I, one I, is, is a bill of, in the Bill of Rights. The First Amendment, right, the free speech and assembly and religion and praying is in the Bill of Rights. Right. Black and, and white can and, school together. It's not in the Bill of Rights. And I have to so, say yeah. something here. Excuse me. So I'm really impressed because I read vociferously, if that's the right word. I listen to a gazillion podcasts. I don't think I've heard any pundit say what you just said, and it makes an insane amount of sense. Go out there and say you have a constitutional right to a Republican form of government. You have a constitutional right to freedom of gather, assembly, et cetera, et cetera. And why are we not sending in the troops? And you, you nailed it. Just like we integrated the schools with the backing of the guard or the military, we should be able to have Thanksgiving. I think it's a fantastic point. What do you guys think? Ed, can you please write an article maybe? <laughs> I'll try. No, that's Thank a you. very, I haven't heard anybody go that route. And Don't I think it's actually a pretty simple idea because it seems to be based on black and white. What does everybody else think? I agree. I mean, Mike is obviously right. They're going to say he's a super duper ultra Hitler now, but it is what it is. They're already doing it. Yeah, but I mean, my, my point again is where does he have the constitutional authority to send in forces to have the, the same way he answered that, Mike. Wilson precedent. Woodrow the same precedent. way they did it to integrate schools. And by the way, the constitutional authority to protect our right to assemble and to pray is a lot stronger. I, than I don't people. see the power. I don't see the power. I don't so think. How do they do it to integrate schools? As Mark Levin says, precedent is canon. Not only, Mike, you're also dealing with people that are not bound by the Constitution themselves. And we are dealing with an insurrection, whether it's with guns or, or short of guns. This is not normal political discourse where we just have a disagreement of opinion. We're dealing with people that have told us that our freedoms are on the line and they're they're not only telling us that our freedoms are wrong, they're taking our freedoms away every day. 
We can't do Thanksgiving. We can't have 10 people in the home. What kind of this way, is if the that? government if the government I, I was not created to protect our rights, for what purpose were they created? Literally the one purpose, protect our rights. That's well, right. I, I I can speak for Michigan and say, to my understanding, those rules in your home at Thanksgiving are not law, they're recommendations. And there's not I, I know it's different maybe in California where they're actually or Oregon gonna find people, but not every state is and trust me, I don't like her, you all know that, but to my understanding, these are just recommendations, <clears throat> at least for Michigan. Yeah, but insofar as their recommendations, that's just the camel's nose under the tent. They're just looking to set the precedent. And next time it won't be a recommendation. Next time it'll be enforced with a summer. Well, and I'll tell you, the reason I think it's recommendation now, like I said earlier, is because the General Assembly is Republican. If it were a Democrat controlled, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be a recommendation. You're right. You know, I would just mention, you guys listen to Charlie Kirk. Everybody know who he is? I know who he is. No, the Turning Point USA. And I listened to his podcast. It was very interesting this morning because he admitted that, quote, we, which I think in this case was he, but probably a bunch of us also, were wrong. That a lot of us thought the day after the election, if Biden were, God forbid, to win, they would drop all of this and say, OK, COVID's gone, no problem. And instead, they went the opposite route, which was, wait a minute, we just realized you guys will back down, all of you sheep will put masks on, and they're just yep. going to keep it going and going. Fauci yep. has said till April 2021 or something. And no, Fauci said the masks should never come off indefinitely. Yeah. yeah. Except even if the vaccine is totally effective, you should never take the masks off ever. Okay, that's just crazy. Did he really say that? Yeah. 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 It, I think Carwitz played the interview. Yeah, Fauci said. Oh Fauci my said God! It. I just want to mention. Um, apparently, I saw one article today that in California, it's strip clubs officially have more rights to let people in to do business than churches. So, if Alito in his speech, which I hope everybody heard at the Federalist Society thing last week, because it was online, if he didn't nail it, what we're doing to freedom of religion and freedom of assembly. I don't know what nailed it. So I, I think we've, Ed, I think you made a great point that, that there is a mechanism to enforce it, no different than integration. And Tom, I, I want you to talk to Mark Levin about precedent. He believes that precedent is higher than the word of God, right? He says, well, Lincoln set a precedent, what the hell that means, right? So say Walter Wilson with Brown v. Board of Ed or whatever integration was, set a precedent, and precedent to be these people raising their hand, huh? You know, the most powerful <laughs> form of oh, we gotta, like, So there you go. There's I make a good point. Okay. Wow. Nobody has a comment? I oh. didn't catch all of it. There was some background. Yeah, we, yeah, we lost it a little bit there. No, he's just saying, so Trump will set the precedent and precedent becomes the law. So what? But I think Ed's point but, is- But Wilson set the precedent when he integrated the schools forcefully. I, well, let me just say this, and I'm not sure how to fully segue into this, but while I don't believe in just disregarding the Constitution, I think that we are in some drastic times and we have to be able to not look beyond the Constitution, but understand that the enemy is using the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. And I think, you know, I think the fundamental question of our time is, is not liberty versus tyranny, although that is an important question. It's, 
it's the way it's the way that the proponents of tyranny are using collusion between private actors and government actors to impose tyranny through private actors. And we're seeing it in big tech. We're seeing it, you know, I mentioned it earlier in this show with regard to uh, using private vote tabulation and vote counting companies instead of a government entity counting votes. Um, we're seeing it um, in, in multiple areas. Um, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing it even with mask mandates. You know, it's, you know, on the one hand, you do have the governors and, and, the, and the mayors issuing these edicts, but you go, you know, I was, I was in North Carolina and now I'm back visiting in New Jersey and, and it's a very different state of affairs here. And I, you can't go into a store here in New Jersey without being shouted down and, and threatened to be kicked out if you're not wearing a mask. And it's just like in 1984, they get people to police each other and they don't have to police us. Yeah. Yep. Right. And yeah. the, the line between private action and government action has been blurred by, by design. Mm -hmm. And those of us who are totally focused on, you know, what is the constitution authorized and what doesn't authorize, I think they're missing the point in the same way that anyone who says, well, the private tech companies can't impose censorship because they're private entities and they can do whatever they want with their private property. And are and you saying to break, should we break them up? Ed? Maybe. Yes, maybe. As to, to quote or to paraphrase Chuck Schumer, everything should be on the table. OK, yes, it should. The antitrust should be on the table. I think the FTC should be investigating them for bait and switch. I think um, I think Section 230 should be repealed, although, as I've argued in earlier podcasts, I think that that's actually probably the least effective uh, thing that we can do, because the response that the big tech companies are going to do if, if Section 230 is repealed is that they're just going to crack down even harder and they're going to say, OK, fine, we're just not going to let anything on our on our board that we don't like and that we don't want. And this will be a, a platform for lefties. And I think that I, I so I don't think the 230 is I think it should be repealed. But, you know, the New York Times is able to be uh, a miscreant about political affairs and they don't have Section 230 immunity to, for its for its editorials or its newspaper. I don't think repealing 230 is going to be a big deal, but I think everything should be on the table. And more generally, you know, you like I said, Mike, you keep mentioning what's the constitutional authority? What's the constitutional authority? Well, I think that the bad guys have figured out that that's how they divide and conquer us by 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 getting private actors to implement these fascistic policies and and having us divided amongst ourselves as to whether the government may properly offer any response, some response, no response. And when while our freedoms are being taken away from us, wasn't part of rules for yeah, my using our rules against us? Yes. There you have it. The Declaration of Independence literally says the government is formed for one purpose, and that purpose is to protect our rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So it's there to protect our natural rights. So if not that, then nothing. That is the only reason they exist. And I've, I've written an article saying not only do they not protect our rights, they fail to fulfill their number one obligation for being created, undermining their own existence, but also they are the biggest threat to our rights. So yes, Trump totally should use whatever force necessary to protect our rights. That is the point of the government. The other thing that I, I want to say before I have to run in a minute is Joe kind of mentioned it and we have all mentioned it. 
I think the biggest problem and the reason, the number one overarching reason why we all have to homeschool our kids is we in the U.S., 99.9% of people, even libertarians and conservatives, believe that rights are given to us by government. Like my dad said, you know, oh, well, they'll let us have Thanksgiving. Newsom, Cuomo, Murphy is letting us have Thanksgiving. They're letting us gather up to seven or ten people. They're letting us keep 20% of rank up. They don't let us do crap. We have 100% natural rights. They steal rights from us. They steal 20, 30% of our money and our rights. Everything they take, they're stealing from us. Everything is ours. What we have is ours. They steal from us. The rights they give us are not them giving it to us. They're natural rights. They should protect them. They don't protect them. In fact, they violate our rights. That's why government is, is evil, and they don't protect our rights at all. They're the violators of our rights. But I just want people to remember every day, you've got to re remember and remind yourself, our rights are natural and come from either us being natural humans or from God, not from politicians. By the way, just to extend this a little bit and get a little bit cynical for a change, there was a time 10 years ago when had I been watching those 230 hearings in Congress, I would be cheering and saying, yeah, get them. And this is fantastic. And writing headlines like they're writing, you know, Cruz devastated this one and Hawley eviscerated that one. And now I'm looking at it and I'm saying, this is just a bunch of hot air. Does anybody believe that any of this is going to lead to anything whatsoever? Do senators ever really accomplish anything? Like, what is this all about, these hearings? Well, your grandstanding for fundraising emails. I think that's yeah. a big part of it, but I think that the kind of big legislation and the big action that's necessary is not something that should just come in the middle of the night the way Obamacare got passed in the middle of the night and got thrown on the people. I think it does require laying the foundation and explaining the problem in, in laborious detail so that everybody understands what the problem is and why there's a need for government action. Um, so I, I think that there, there is value to it. I don't, like I said a few minutes ago, I don't think that going after them on repealing 230 immunity is going to be all that impactful. Uh, I think it's necessary and good and I support it, but um, I, I don't think it's a panacea in any way, shape or form. But I think that we need, people need to understand it. I mean, I can tell you a year or two ago, I didn't fully understand the issue. I mean, and, and you know, I brought this up on our, on our show many times, you know, all of us on the show to some degree or another have libertarian leanings and the libertarian presumption is government shouldn't act and government shouldn't do something. You know, private property is private property and that people should be able to use their private property as they wish. And there's a big part of me that, I mean, like I said, up until maybe a year or 18 months ago, that's kind of how I thought, that's what I thought was the case with the, with social media companies like Facebook and Google and Twitter. And, and now I understand that there's more to it than that. They're, they're working hand in, hand in glove with the Chinese communist government to perfect and implement censorship in that country. And then they bring that knowledge with them back to the United States. And as I was saying before, the, the issue of our time is, is not liberty versus tyranny, it's the collusion between tyrannical private actors and government. And when Facebook and Zuckerberg and Dorsey come back from, from China and they have all this knowledge about how to impose censorship, they don't need Congress to pass a law. They don't need Chuck Schumer to pass a law. They don't even need schmucky Chucky to, to pick up the phone and call them. They need a wink and a nod, if that. You know, they can, they can just hire Chuck Schumer's former chief of staff to, to be a fact checker. 
which I believe they've done. And they don't have to talk, they don't have to coordinate at all. And yet they can still implement censorship every bit as much as the Chinese Communist Party impl in implements censorship in China. And we need to be able to step beyond, I, I, I'll, I'll yield to you in just a second, Elliot. We need to be able to step beyond, well, the constitution says private actors can only have, have total freedom and government can't interfere with private property. When, when these private actors are using their property to destroy our constitutional freedoms, our government needs to be able to do something. I don't know if it's antitrust. I don't know if it's an FTC action. I, honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, those are the, I mean, I, I would start with an FTC bait and switch action and I would also look at antitrust. But as I said, everything should be on the table. These are miscreant actors who have no interest in protecting our liberties. They're looking to smash our liberties. And we need to understand that the constitution was designed to protect our liberties, not to protect the people out to destroy our liberties. You go, Elliot. Thank you. Yeah, well said, I agree with everything you said. I read an interesting article a few months ago about the libertarian case for breaking up social media sites like Facebook. Think of it this way, let me know what you think as a lawyer. Currently, it's not that the government is hands off and we want the government to be hands on. Currently, the government is actively helping Facebook. And we want the government to back off and not actively help Facebook and pick winners and losers. They're helping them by giving them hundreds of millions of dollars a year in what is effectively uh, legal protection subsidies as far as not being able to be liable for lawsuits because they're uh, straddling the line between publisher and platform. So if they have to choose one, they'd be vulnerable to billions of lawsuits. And they don't have to because the government is allowing them to straddle that line because they're afraid of Facebook, which is effectively, in a sense, subsidizing them to the tune of billions of dollars in legal help. Because they don't, does that make sense? That makes total yeah. sense. And let me just, here's why I don't, that, that, that's a call for repealing Section 230 immunity. Here's why I think that, that while that's necessary and good and, and it would not be bad at all, I don't think it solves the problem. And here's why. When they put up, if you put up a post saying the election was stolen, OK, and they fact check you and maybe even block you or maybe demonetize you or delete you. There's you can't sue them. The, the, what is your lawsuit? There is no lawsuit. It, the, the Section 230 immunity isn't protecting them from that action by you. It's protecting them for when you post something. You know, if you were to post something that says, uh, you know, something defamatory about person X and. Facebook allows allows that posting to go up the way the New York Times, let's say, might choose to publish a letter to the editor. And if that letter to the editor that the New York Times chose to post, if they printed it, they could be the, not only the letter writer, but the New York Times could be sued for defamation. Section 230 makes it so that you can't sue Facebook for defamation. That's not the suit that's going to that's going to be brought for, for the fact checking and. All, all that's going to happen if they if they lose their 230 immunity, it just means they're going to step up the the uh, the curation. They're going to step up the the fact checking and allow fewer and fewer things to go on, and only allow their friends to post. Basically, is so, there uh, this might be a stupid question, no, but under under that scenario. Uh, could there be room for a class action lawsuit against big tech for, um, I don't know, you know, if, if, if a bunch of people bundled together and, you know, for being censored or something or for being, 
I don't know. Is there, would a class action lawsuit be able to function in that manner for the little guy versus New York Times? I just I don't want to say, I assume we signed away those rights when we joined these things. Even if we didn't, I, what is the damage that you suffered? I mean, I suppose if you had your site demonetized, you have damages. Um, but for a class action to work, everybody's damages, it's got to, the, the class allegations have to be more important than any individual factual considerations. So if you, if you were going to get mucked down in, in various uh, individual proofs as to how much damage you had and how much damage this guy had, it's not a class action. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's it, theoretically it's possible, but I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's, I think a, a judge would have a hard time certifying that as a class. Usually for a class action, everybody suffered the same damage, right? Like everybody bought the same product. Now, maybe I bought five tubes of toothpaste and you bought eight. So maybe your damages would be, you know, 60% higher, but okay. the, Got the, it. The, the fact that the fact, the common facts have to be more, have to predominate over any individual fact finding of liability or damages or things like that. Well, you know, go, continuing on something that Elliot said, I have found in my observations, when um, a market is has been corrupted against the buyers, if you look underneath, it's usually a collusion between the players in the market and the politicians. And so I get what he's saying, where he's saying, um, this is you know, what we're seeing is not lack of government, it's government interfering where it shouldn't. But I get what you're saying too, Elliot. Well, I'm just, I mean, yeah. I well, think it's I think even more corrupt than that when it comes to the social media companies because they're acting like an arm of the Democratic Party on the other side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's like I also was saying a little while ago, I think that the issue of our time is collusion between private actors and government. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And most people, when they think of fascism, they think of this overbearing government that intimidates and coerces private actors. But we're seeing it go in the from the other direction right now. We're seeing really almost a timid government that is winking and nodding and smiling mm -hmm. and happy about what's going on. But the prime movers are Google and Facebook and and Home Depot and and all you know, not just social media companies. Go into any big box store, you know. Maybe. I mean, where, where's the fifteen dollar minimum, fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage being fought? It's being fought by places like Walmart and Home Depot and all these big companies that are view it as a way to try and stamp out wash their competition, the, comp the competition from small businesses. Maybe we need a new word for this sort of different kind of fascism. Obviously, it's not the same. So what we need to somebody needs to coin a new word that describes what you just said, Ed, where it is, it is a weak, it's, I, I, maybe that's not right the word because I really feel like the Democrats and maybe a whole lot of Republicans, it's not just that they're weak, it's almost that they want, because they're benefiting. They're benefiting from this quiet um, wink nod at corrupt uh, market. I, I think what, the word is fascism. I think the word is fascism and it's just, it's been slightly mis, uh, misdefined. I don't, I don't think fascism is necessarily a strong central government imposing its will on, on the populace. Well, that's when you look up the word, that's what it is, right? Like the definition, I think, is government. 
Well, so, but, but I, your like description, I, said, I, think, I feel, is true. Of I, think today. The, I think it's more fundamental to say that that the that the fundamental of fascism is collusion between private actors and government, and it can be. I mean, you know, go back to, you know, IG Farben was a private company that sold Zyklon B pellets to the, to the Nazi party, right? I mean, would, 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 you know, libertarians and constitutionalists say, well, they're a private company. It's no business of anybody else, what they produce and what they sell, right? I mean, I, you know, and I, 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 I hesitate to get into, you know, Hitler analogies and Nazi analogies, but I mean, the, the reality is fascism is not just an overbearing government imposing itself on the people. And in fact, as I sit here and think about it, I think the, the fundamental, no fascist government is going to survive if the people don't want it. And if you look at what's happening in corporate culture today, the way critical race theory is being imposed through HR departments, if you look at the way masks are being yeah. imposed, I mean, all of this leftist nonsense is being imposed through private entities. It's not being imposed you know, our, our Nuremberg laws are not coming from, from the legislature. They are coming from private actors. You know, you, who was it that was talking about the doxing of, of those Wayne County officials, right? That was, that was private entities, private people. Very stuffed. Threatening the, the people who were resisting the, the vote fraud in, in Wayne County. And likewise, there were the, the 1619 Project and some other attorneys are trying to, were trying to dox the Jones Day the Jones Day law firm and a couple of other lawyers that were representing the Trump campaign and trying to make it so that these people cannot get work. Um, so I think that I think that a, it's the fundamental for fascism is not yes you need government action but I think it's not just government action. I mean monarchy would be government action. The fundamental is a collusion between private actors and government and. And I think that it's the private actors that more often than not are the driving force and are the ones that are uh, uh, dispersing it th through the culture. You know, we've got, a, we've got a culture problem that we've talked about on this show in past weeks. How are we gonna fight the culture if we're only fighting a political war and we're only talking about what the constitution allows? And you've got, while at the same time saying there's nothing we can do when, when Google and, and Facebook import censorship from China when, uh, when you know, uh, Walmart uh, imports uh, face, uh, face covering mandates and requires everybody in the store to wear them. I mean, I, I got into an argument with somebody in a store two days ago, and I'm not going to, you know, repeat the whole story online. But, I, you know, I, I, among other things I said, you know, I said, I come into your store it was a restaurant. And I said, I come into your store because I like the food you sell. You're not my doctor. You're not a medical practice. You know jack about medicine. And, and oh, by the way, everybody in here is wearing a mask. You've got plexiglass everywhere. Why aren't you satisfied that you're protected? Who are you to tell me what, what I need for my own medical health or your medical health? You're a restaurant and I'm here to buy food. I'm not here to get medical advice from you. And I said to him, and, and of course it doesn't matter. And, but for me, I'm just going to speak up and we need people to speak up and we need people to understand it's not just speaking truth to power in the sense of speaking up to our legislators. It's also speaking truth to these corporate, to these large businesses that are using their power to impose through their market share and through, through their own 
of dominance of the market, all of these tyrannical measures, whether, and, and like I said, it's, it could be something as innocuous as the $15 an hour minimum wage, all the way up to, you know, mask mandates or all the way up to, you know, I mean, I've, you know, you know, are we going to be forced to take this vaccine when it comes out? Are we going to get a health passport? That's going to say, if you don't have a health, if you don't have a, you know, a, your, your card stamped, you can't go into to the grocery store to buy food. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a possibility that's out there and that's not something that's coming from the government. That's something that's coming from the private sector. And we, we better be aware of that and alert because if we just wait and say, well, government can't act, government can't act, government can't do anything. By the time we realize that we better do something, the, the doors may be closing on us. So we need okay. to do something. I'm going to wind down the show because we're over time. Um, I'm going to take the first of the closing comments. I'm trying to distill everything you just so well said into one sentence or one question. And this is what I have. What is or should be the role of the government when the private sector becomes the enemy of the rights and freedoms guaranteed by the constitution? You're asking that to me? No, I'm trying to sum up what we're saying. I think saying. That's, a good, that's a good question. And the, I mean, I, I'd answer it in two ways. Well, Number one, there's no one right way. There's no one and only way to deal with political questions like that. But fundamentally, the way to deal with that is to recognize that our government was set up to protect our rights from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And if we've got domestic enemies that are violating our rights, I expect and demand that my government step up and protect my rights and protect the free society that me and my ancestors have built in this country. And Bingo. So, so Ed, you're saying, I think- That was very well said. It was very well said because I think what we need to do when you talk about words and framing is frame these private actors as the domestic enemies. And then we have a way to carry forward. So that's what I'm trying to, I'm just trying to formulate it, but I agree hundred percent. That, that's what resonated with me with what you just said, Ed. And that's something I think people can re relate to when you put it in those terms. And that- Spread the word. Just because they are private actors, private businesses that they don't have that right to do that to us. Right, they become the domestic enemies. I Wow, that's yeah. impressive. Jody. <laughs> Um, so I, I just wanted to uh, really quick bring up the, that Trump accountability website. You guys are aware of that. Kind of old news at this time, but it's really scary news. Uh, it's the website they were, I know AOC kind of, I don't know if she started it, but her, her words maybe prompted it. But, you know, where they wanted to get a list of people in the Trump administration and donors to the Trump administration and make sure that they don't profit. I don't know if you guys looked at the website. Um, they try and make it sound less nefarious with a few of their words while they're simultaneously doing something really horrifying. Like I said, making lists, attempting to dox people and uh, uh, harass them. But one of the things that brought my attention in there real quick is here's the things that they accuse these people of are um, um, uh, uh how do they word it? Sorry, economic devastation um, and failed response to COVID. I'm just going to focus on those two, although there's more. But this is what they're accusing those people of, of economic devastation and a failed response to COVID. Meanwhile, here's what COVID looks like. 
Um, as of today, it looks like, um, let's see. I'm sorry. Oh, so nine of the 15 worst jurisdictions for COVID deaths on a population basis are run by Democrats, not Republicans. Economic devastation. Eight of the 13 worst, sta worst states for GDP in the second quarter of 2020 are run by Democrats, not Republicans. Seven of the 11 best states for economic health in the se second quarter of 2020 are run by Republicans. And um, uh, the employment, the biggest assaults to employment in April uh, before the beginning of all this stuff, seven of 10 of those states were run by Democrats. So here we are again, as always, the Democrats, the, the illiberal left, pointing their finger at others for stuff that they themselves are the ones perpetuating. They're the ones who have the worst COVID death response on their hands. They're the ones who have implemented economic devastation. And yet, that's just as they love to do, they're gonna say someone else is doing exactly what they're doing. I'm done with that, so. Total projection. Yep. Oh, and the racism. I don't think she did a good enough job. At one point, maybe we can have more of a discussion on what Trump did not do well in this year's election. I didn't think he ran a good campaign, but this is one issue where I don't think he did enough to pin all these problems on these Democrat-run states and cities. Mike, so he I did, didn't do enough. Yes, I agree. I think the right is terrible at that. Watch how they accept defense and they start defending themselves. Never, ever, ever. Do you notice that a, a liberal will never defend themselves? You can put their facts in front of their face and they will ignore them. They will never respond to it. That's exactly what we need to do because truth is on our side. The minute they say something about racism, I'm going right to, you don't have any chance to talk about racism because of your, I'm done with defense. I am offense, offense, offense. Yeah, and I think it was easy for Trump to be on the offense four years ago. This time around, I felt like he was very much on the defensive. I agree. I think that's well, part of what's happened here. We, did you have more to say, Mike, or can I jump in with something? There was one other thing I wanted to, to talk about real quick was, you know, I'm a little bit troubled by this whole idea of these run runoffs. And, uh, you know, maybe we don't have enough time to get into it right now. But I just, I just think the fact that we're in this situation where really – the two Republicans did win the election already. Now they have to win again. Okay, they won on on November third. And Loeffler win? I thought Loeffler finished second. I think both Republicans were in front, weren't they? Weren't they? At least let's say let's say it was just Purdue. That's the one we needed. That's the one the GOP needed to maintain control of the Senate. But now we have to win that race again, and now it's everything is on the line. And I just don't. Feel that that's appropriate. I, I understand why you would want to have somebody with 50% or more winning an election, but look at the situation that we're now in. You know, I, I, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's really healthy for us in terms of, you know, for the electorate and, and uh, to have this cut. Listen, I mean, I remember when we had Scott Brown 10 years ago, I could toot my own horn a little bit because I was blogging at the time and and I mentioned that race when nobody else was talking about it and we knew how much was on the line then. 
and Ted Kennedy had just died. And, and I, I did a blog post and I got feedback from somebody who had ties to, to some money that got behind Brown and ultimately won that race. But again, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just troubled. That was an open seat because Ted, Ted Kennedy had died. I'm a little bit troubled by having these runoff elections where they become separate and they take on a life of their own and the environment, the, the political landscape has completely changed. Well, let me just, let me hit two, two quick things. One from something Jody said and one from something you said, Mike. Um, Jody, you talked about the Trump Accountability Project and AOC being a, playing a role in that and, and, and advocating for it. And that gets right into what I was saying about the collusion between big government yeah. and, and private actors. AOC is, is too new in government to realize that she shouldn't have said out loud all the things she said. Uh, five or 10 years from now, she won't make those comments. She'll just pick up the phone and talk to somebody. And all we're going to see is some equivalent of the 1619 project or the Lincoln project or, you know, some one of these shadowy groups, and it's going to seem like a private entity. And they're going to do exactly what it's going to be the exact same thing. And it'll probably be staffed either by her friends or by her former employees or her former staffers. And the, the line between government action and private action is being deliberately blurred. Um, and I think that even in that one, it's the prime, the prime mover is the private entities or the private people that are running that Trump accountability project. That's not legislation that AOC got behind and got Nancy Pelosi to pass and the Senate to pass and the president to pass. That's just private action. And she's saying, right on, baby. And, and that's, that's collusion between private, and, private individuals and government with the private actors being actually the prime movers. And too many people see fascism as the government being the prime mover and the, and the private sector being cowed and intimidated. When in fact, the way, it, I won't say every time in history, because I, I am historian in some respects, but I, I'm not expert enough to say for all time, it's, it's happened enough times that it's not the government that's the prime mover. I mean, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And I think that we as liberty-loving people who want to protect our rights, we need to be able to plan for that, recognize that, and deal with that, and be able to say, yes, we, we are for the Constitution, but we're not going to let the Constitution stop us from protecting our rights against this kind of collusion. And second, Mike, you mentioned how Trump ran this awful campaign. And in particular, you talked about his inability and unwillingness to tie all the crap that went on during this year from COVID and the riots to the Democrat party. And I agree with you 100% on that. I think he did a terrible job with that. Nonetheless, let me defend Trump in this sense. Here there was a but coming. <laughs> I, I didn't want to say but. I just, nonetheless, is a little weaker than but. Um, I, I agree with you. I wouldn't have made that call. I think it was the wrong call. But unlike other mistakes, I think it's a defensible mistake. And here's why. I think the Trump game plan was we're going to blame everything on China. And in our second term, we're going to really go after China. 
And I think two weeks ago, or no, it was last week's show, one of the questions I raised was, no, maybe it was two weeks ago, was Trump overconfident? And, and I still think that Trump was overconfident. I think that he just assumed he was going to win and he was strategizing the campaign for what his second term would look like more than what do I need to do to win? And I think that tying the Democrats to those things would have made it a better chance for him to win, but it would have also further poisoned the well. And I think Trump, to his discredit, thinks that he could unite the country and thought that he would be able to, to win a resounding victory and blame China and say, hey, I'm not against the Democrats, I'm against China. And this is all of us against China. And we need to bring our manufacturing home. We need to bring our bio uh, pharmaceuticals home, our antibiotic industry home. And, and I, that's what I think was going on. Now, I disagree with his strategy. I think you're right in your analysis, but I think it's a defensible mistake. I think we can explore, uh, explore this a little more in the weeks ahead. I think he was just going to run on the economy. I think that that's what, what his whole thing was. He, the rallies, even pre-COVID, it was the economy, the best economy in the world. He would have won. Look at me. I did it. How and can you say that? That's the wave he was planning to ride to victory. COVID messed it all up. Let me, I got to say something. That, that's that. to me one big factor. There are other factors. But I think once he, he got his mojo thrown out off from that, he didn't really know how to tell people what his second administration was going to be about. He didn't present a positive, a really positive vision. So I, he should have been constant on, you know, Democrats are doing worse with COVID. I mean, that message, I've been following it for so long. That is such a slam dunk. Like, they're blaming him. I mean, they're the jurisdictions where all the deaths have happened. And he he was should trying, have been constant. He, he was trying to unify the country. But Jody, let me say this. We can't say that Trump would have won if he would have blamed the Democrats and then also say he only lost because of fraud. If there was fraud and if they stopped the counting in order to figure out how many votes they needed, it really doesn't matter what his message would have been. If they were cheating and bringing in fake votes, then that's the reason. And, and all this other stuff is a distraction. And we need, I'm not saying we got to pick our horse and ride because it could be more than one thing that caused it. But if we're going to make any kind of an argument or base any of our opinions going forward on widespread systemic fraud, then I don't think it serves our purpose to very much talk about strategic blunders other than the strategic blunder to not challenge the fraud before it happened. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing to be made there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, on the one hand, we're saying, well, yeah, he really won. And it was because of all this stuff. And so all the other stuff about what he might not have done right strategically doesn't matter. Um, well, well, you know what, win or lose, fraud or not, I still have those complaints about his campaign. But I have those complaints about the Republicans, regardless. I don't, I don't understand. They should never, ever, ever accept the position of defense. They should be perpetual offense, perpetual offense. You explain your racism in your areas. You have oppressed minorities for decades with your Not policies. just racism, pedophilia. Oh, all of it. I'm like, I'm so done. Don't, I, do, they should never, ever, ever, ever go on defense ever again. 
constant offense. Right. Where you was explain. The, where was the commercial from Trump about Biden saying that he that the hairs on his legs stand up when children touch him underwater? Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh. I was pointing this out to somebody today that I, I was commenting on Facebook. Is you know the guy's been around for forty-seven years. He should have been paint, been painted as the swamp creature. The, you know the swamp is yeah. ah, he's your candidate if you want the swamp. And the guy's got forty-seven years worth of material, and I don't think Trump really presented. No. Especially mm -hmm. not the racist stuff and the anti-segregation, uh, anti-integration stuff that he could have used. Yeah. So regardless yeah. of whether or not he won legitimately, that is my complaint with the right. Like a strong complaint with the right. They don't fix it. We're done. Okay, folks, we're going to wrap up. See everybody back. Let's see. Next Wednesday is Thanksgiving Eve. Is that a problem for anybody? Ooh. Uh, you know what? I think we should have at least 10 people on the next podcast just to make a point. <laughs> We'll have our turkey and, you know. I, I can be there. I'm just, I'm going to be at my sister's house, but I can go in the other room and be fine. Okay. As long as you wear a mask. Yeah. I'll All be right. in Michigan with Whitler. With Whitler. Okay. <laughs> so we'll be back again, hopefully next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Thanks everyone for joining. Remember that you're invited to join us live and share your opinion. We'll be up on SoundCloud and iTunes within a half an hour. Wishing everyone a good afternoon, good evening, and a great week. Sounds Bye, everybody. Good. Bye, everybody.